0: Verse one to eight. Oh, no one there. All right, let me read then. But first of all, can you all hear me? Can you hear me? Give me a thumbs up, please. Can you guys hear me? Um, can you guys hear me? Okay. Okay, good, good, good. All right, all right, thanks. Okay, so you can hear me. All right, so let me read Philippians chapter Philippians chapter three, verse one to eight. So I'm going to read from the King James Version. It says, "Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you, to me indeed is not grievous, but for you it is safe." Verse two says, "Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the concision." Verse three, "For we are the circumcision." which worship God in the spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he hath hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I have more. Verse 5 says, circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, and Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law, a Pharisee. Concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is which is in the law, he says blameless. Verse 7, but what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. It's a powerful statement. Verse 8 says, yea, doubtless, I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. For whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do not and do count them but dumb that I may win Christ. Praise Jesus. So I want to read, um, I want to read verse, verse three from Amplified Bible. Okay. So this is the way it puts it. It says, For we Christians are the true circumcision who worship God in spirit and by the spirit of God. And exalt and glory and pride ourselves in Jesus. So, first of all, Paul was saying that we Christians were the true circumcision. And I, let me, I need to give a background to before we continue this, I need to give a background to what, what was going on here. <clears throat> so, if you remember in the um, book of Acts, um, a time came in the, in the growth of the church that some people began to pride themselves. So when, when Gentiles be, became Christians, so by Gentiles, I mean non-Jews, by non-Jews, sorry, by the time non-Jews um, were added to the faith, some of the Jewish Christians began to pride themselves that they were the original breed, all right? That they were the original, sort of, sort of like say, they're the original Christians. And one of their the basis for their boasting was the fact that they were circumcised, which was a Jewish custom, all right? And as at that as at that time, um, it was really the Israelites and the Jews that, that practiced circumcision, all right? And um, others that were non-Jews were not circumcised. And so the Jewish Christians began to boast in the fact that they were circumcised. So it sort of gave them bragging rights to say, we are the original Christians. I mean, we are circumcised, we are we are, we are pure breed, pretty much. And so Paul was addressing that ideology when he now said, Back to um, verse three, he said, "For we Christians are the true circumcision." So Paul was was deflating the the boasting um, balloon that they had and said that we Christians were actually the true circumcisions, not not the not the Jewish kind of circumcision. But he went further to explain um, what that circumcision means for us. Of course, circumcision. here doesn't. Is not referring um, to the fiscal circumcision. What Paul was explaining now wasn't talking about fiscal circumcision, as we will see. So verse three, again, <clears throat> Philippians 3, verse three, I'm reading Amplified. He says, for we Christians are the true circumcision. And then he begins to explain the, the, the evidence of true circumcision. He says, who worship God in spirits and by the spirit of God, meaning our worship with God is not based on laws or based on location or anything like that. It is based on his spiritual experience. He goes on to say, and exalt and glory and pride ourselves in Jesus Christ. This is very powerful, meaning, if there's any reason for us to take glory and to take pride, it will be in Jesus Christ. And he goes further to say, and put no confidence or dependence on what we are in the flesh and on outward privileges and physical advantages and external appearances. Wow, this is so powerful. So Paul was saying in essence that the real Christians who are the um, circumcision, number one, they worship God in spirit and truth, right? Their glory in Jesus Christ. That means if there's anything a, a believer ought to pride himself in, just just, just like the, um, what, what God said in the book of Jeremiah, that anyone who boasts should boast in the fact that he knows me. Meaning, Nothing else should be the basis of our boasting except that we know Jesus Christ. That's what Paul was saying. A true, a circumcised believer is. Then next he says, "And put no confidence in the flesh." And I really like the way Amplified explains it. It buttresses to say that there is no form of dependence on what we are. Meaning, let's assume you are the MD of your office because you are a circumcised, believer, a circumcised Christian. Your confidence will not be in the fact that you are in a high position. Let's say you are the president of a state of a country. Sorry, or you are the you are at the topmost position. He's saying that a true a circumcised believer doesn't put his confidence in who he is. All right, so okay, let's 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 look for a physical scenario. Let's assume you're a very muscular. A circumcised believer doesn't rely on his physical strength for uh, as a means of defense. as a means of security so paul is saying anything you have right that you could have depended on, you could have depended on paul is saying as a circumcised believer you eliminate that thing as a source of dependence praise jesus so let's continue he says um put no no, uh, confidence or dependence on who we are in the flesh he says and on outward privileges you know it's very easy to so so think about this now if you get go to an office for instance um, let's say you go to an office and then you see someone, you know, pulling his weights, right? Because he's close to the MD or close to the CEO, or probably he knows the CEO from, let's say, they are from the same village or something like that. You know, it's very easy for that person to, to just do things. I mean, just pull his weight in the office because, after all, I know the CEO. There's nothing you guys can do to me. But the Bible is saying that a circumcised believer doesn't flaunt those rights and privileges, all right. Have you ever said head on say, Do you know who I am? I mean, let's say let's let's assume let's assume police officer stops this, this believer on the road for following one way, for instance, and the believer says, Who are you? You 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 officer, do you know who my father is, and all of that? That is an uncircumcised believer because there's still confidence in the flesh, there's still confidence in privileges, there's still confidence in ability, there's still confidence in um, what is it? Jesse confidence in one. And to be honest, yeah, if you do a proper audit of your own life, I'm saying this again, you will find out that at one point or the other, you might have depended on something or on someone physical. All right. Let me share. <laughs> let me share a story at this point. I just, just remember. You know, uh, when I was going to do my internship in four hundred level, <clears throat> I was so from from so internship is typically second year, uh, sorry, second semester, right? So from first semester, I was already praying. I was already kabashing, Like I knew that I needed to pray about it ahead of time so that God will make a way for me. And I really, really prayed about it, okay? And, you know, this is it again, that Christians can unconsciously be depending on something aside from God, even though they are praying to God, but they are depending on, so see, for example, now someone wants to start a business and he's praying, oh God, make provision for my business. But in his mind, he has calculated how much his father can give him. He doesn't know whether God wants to provide through his father or not, but he has calculated at least my father can give me like 3 million. So when he's praying, he's praying and smiling. He's like, oh God, even when he's thanking God, he says, God, I thank you for that 3 million you have given me. If you check his heart of hearts, he has already concluded that his father will give him that 3 million, even though he he doesn't know how God wants to provide for him, all right? So Christians could be dependent on fiscal connection. So my story, Um, so first semester I was praying and all of that, and I got you know a, an assurance in my spirit that God had answered my prayers. So I was I was settled about it. However, I had one classmate whose mom, um used, as at that time I don't know about now, was at that time his mom used to work with Chevron, and so I went to meet him and say, Ah, that you know, how fun i talk to your mom. Let them give us let's find placement in Chevron. I mean, who doesn't want to work in all company? I'd already done the maths that. If I do my internship in Chevron, you know I'll be very good, very nice. I'll make friends with my supervisor, so that by the time I finish school, it'll be easy for me to go back, you know, and start working with, with them, you know. And that was the calculation in my head, and I, I didn't bother finding out if that was God's will or not. To me, I'd already prayed, and it was settled in my spirit, so I just assumed Chevron was God's will for me. So I spoke to my friend, and my friend, as a normal. Person will say, Oh, yes, 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 I'll talk to my mom. Remember, he spoke to his mom. His mom said, Okay, no problem. You guys just go and write the assessment test and all of that. I was happy. I went to write the assessment test. Results came out. Okay, I don't know if results, I don't remember my results came out or not, but anyways, as at this time, we the internship had started. So I called my friend first of all, say, Half. I said, Ah, oh, no, they're not here they've not started, they've not gotten back to him. I said, Okay, I waited. After two weeks. I called my friend to say, "Ah, how far?" He said, "Oh, oh the art ah, has resumed, though. That's has already resumed." And I was like, "What do you mean you resumed? What about my own my own plan?" He was like, "You know, my mom said, you know, long story, long story, long story." And I didn't, obviously didn't get it. I felt so bad. Meanwhile, there was somewhere else that my my dad, you know, my dad, my uncle rather, said, "Just gonna check this company. I have a friend there." So I went there. I didn't like the company. The distance was too far. I just didn't like it everywhere. They were not paying well. They were paying. They were not even paying intents at all, right? So I was so angry. There was no staff, but everything looked wrong. I went back that day and I called my dad and said, Dad, this place, I'm not, I don't like it at all. I complain, complained. He said, don't worry. i will just be going there when, pending when the main time will come. Anyways, it's quite a long story short. One day I was really, really angry. I started walking there. I was really angry and I was, I took a walk, you know, um, on the road of my house where I was staying that time. I took a walk and I was just praying to God and. I was I was very blunt, with God. I told God, God, see, this is not fair. That you cannot tell me I did not pray. If you want to tell me I did not pray, I'll tell you you're lying because I know I prayed and I know you gave me assurance. So, what is going on wrong? And then God immediately spoke to my heart and he said, Trust in the Lord with all your hearts and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and you'll make your path straight. When he spoke that verse to me, it dawned on me that. I was not trusting in God in that situation. I was trusting in my own connection, number one. Secondly, I was trusting in my own interpretation of how I wanted him to answer my prayer. Yes, he had answered my prayer and I knew it, but I didn't know how the manifestation would happen. So I had conjured my own, you know, it's always like when Abraham, Abraham helped God in giving him a child and it resulted in Ishmael, right? So I was trying to help God to answer my prayer. And God spoke to me clearly that night and he said, trust in me and don't lean on your own understanding of how I will answer your prayer. So that night, that night I repented and you know what happened? The next day I was, my my attitude towards work changed. I was so joyful. And about two weeks after that, they took me on a a size project and what they were paying me, what they paid me per per week was what they were paying, what was what they paid my friend in Chevron per month. And everything just drastically change. So what I'm saying is that as believers, it's possible for us to pray to God. Yes, we pray because that's what we know to do. But in our heart of hearts, we've concluded how how we want God to answer the prayer. And so after praying, we don't trust in God. Yes, we pray because, of course, that's what they taught us to do. But we don't actually trust in God. And the proof of trusting in God will be shown by your actions. All right? So Paul was saying that a circumcised believer doesn't place his confidence in his flesh, doesn't place his confidence in his ability. And let me tell you this, because the gifts and the callings of God are without repentance, if you are a physically gifted person, let's say you can sing, for instance, it is very easy for you to trust your vocal ability, your vocal strength, all right? So that when they say, I want you to live praise and worship on... Let's say on Sunday, once you leave prayer and worship in church, you'll just be like, oh, okay, yes, yes, yes. You know, I'll just write down the songs and that's all. You wouldn't you wouldn't think about spending time with God to even receive the songs to sing or spending time to fellowship with God so that he can prepare your heart for ministration. you just say, okay, no, I know this song, uh, Rababa, we'll sing Rababa first. Then second song, we'll sing, we go hear your name because, you know, the beats just follow after the other. Thirdly, we'll sing... Um, um this song by Des Moines. I and just arrange it and you wait till Sunday. That is the that is the, the proof of an uncircumcised believer. So, yes, the voice will still be there, but the anointing will not be there. So, our dependence on God is the is the key to effectiveness. And you we would see right from scripture today that our our sufficiency is of God. You know what? Let's read that scripture right away. So let's turn to 2nd Corinthians. 2nd um, Corinthians chapter 3. 2nd Corinthians chapter 3. Let us start from verse 5. 2nd Corinthians chapter 3 verse 5. If you are there, please go ahead and read for us. 2nd Corinthians
1: three 5. Yeah. Yet, we do not see ourselves as capable enough to do anything in our own strength. Mm -hmm. For our true competence flows from God's empowering presence. Mm
2: -hmm. He alone
1: makes us adequate ministers who are focused on an entirely new covenant. Our ministry is not based on the letter of the law or through the power of the Spirit.
0: The letter of the law, or the Spirit, pours out life. Praise Jesus. Thank you so much, Faith. Um, verse. Look at verse five, where I want to emphasize. Um, I'm reading um, King James version. It says, "Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything as of ourselves." You know, you know that it's possible for, let's say, somebody who is um, somebody who is called to, let's say, preach, for instance, it's possible for that person to have so much dependence on the fact that he attended Bible school. And then the fact that he has, he can talk. You know, there are people that, are, that, are, that have oratory prowess, right? The person can have so much confidence in that ability to speak that he loses touch of the supply that God gives. And let me tell you, in the realm of the Spirit, you are only as effective as the supply of the Spirit. It doesn't matter the skill you have physically, all right? You are only as effective as the supply of the Spirit of God per time. So what Paul was saying is that this, you know, there's no sufficiency of our own like that we can even claim anything at all. There's nothing of ourselves that we would claim sufficiency from. And you need to know why, if I for Paul to say this, right? You need to understand where he's coming from. And let me just take a quick trip back to Philippians, right, to read out Paul's resume and you see Paul's disposition to his resume. Okay. Um, let me just a minute. Let me read from Amplified. Let me read from Amplified Bible. Um, Philippians 3, verse verse 7. Okay, no, no, verse... verse um, let's start from verse 4. He says, I'm reading Amplified now. Though for myself, I have at least grounds to rely on the flesh. So Paul was saying that... Well, after he told them not to rely on the flesh or external things, Paul was saying, you guys, look at me. I have some reasons to rely on the flesh. If you are thinking that I'm saying this because I don't have any, you know, reason. It was almost like someone saying, if someone comes and says, CEO, um, um, for instance, someone says, having degrees and education and master's is good, but you also need to be skillful. Somebody can say, I hey, are saying that because you don't have, you don't have a master's, that's why. Then he now tells you, yeah, "Come, let me give you my own certificate. Let me give you my own resume. I finished from... Let's say he finished from first degree from Cambridge, he did his master's in Harvard, did his second master's in in um, London School of Business. He now went on for a, for, a, for a research PhD in one top university like that in America. Then you will now listen to him for what he said. That's exactly what um, Paul was doing here. So let's continue. Verse four He says, though for myself, I have at least grounds to rely on the flesh. He says, if any other man considers that he has or seems to have reason to rely on the flesh and his physical and outward advantages. He says, I have still more. Verse 5, he now begins to list the credentials. He says, no one was circumcised when I was eight days old. Of the race of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin. Remember, the first king that Israel had came from the tribe tribe of Benjamin. That was Saul. So that was a bragging right for them. He says, "Um, a Hebrew and the son of Hebrews just in case you are doubting the the purity of his lineage, he says, I'm not Harbrido, I am original Hebrew. He says, as to observers of the law, I was of the party of the Pharisees. For the record, right, the Pharisees at that point was among the highest ruling religious and political um, set of leaders. So for Paul to be part of the Pharisees, he had influence. He was, I mean, if he was in a city of Rome, he would have been part of the Vatican, you know, council or something like that. Right? Verse 6 says, As to my zeal, I was a persecutor of the church. That's to show you that all oh, this is not grammar. I had action. I had it's like someone that says I had ginger. He was doing things, okay? And by the law standard of righteousness, supposed justice, uprightness, and right standing with God, I was proven to be blameless, and no fault was found in me. This was post-credentials. However, look at what he said in verse 7. He says, but whatever former things I had that might have been gains to me, I have come to consider as one combined loss for Christ's sake. He now says, yet furthermore, I count everything as loss compared to the possession of the priceless privilege of knowing God, and he goes on and on. What Paul was explaining was that everything that he had acquired, and according to Paul's days, he had actually acquired a lot. He says, all those things that I've acquired, Right now, I consider them to be nothing compared to the knowledge of knowing Christ. So when we go to Second Corinthians and Paul says, we, are, we don't have any sufficiency of ourselves, Paul knew what was talking about, that even though I achieved all these things in the flesh and I had enough reasons to boast in my achievements and my accomplishments, Paul said, at this point, when I come to know Christ, and I leave every of those accomplishments and push them aside. Praise Jesus. All right. So this is the introduction to our our study that the true and the circumcised believer doesn't have any confidence in the flesh. Right. So I want you to I mean, as I'm speaking, just reflect and ask yourself, what are the things in your life that you that that you you could have confidence in that could serve as an alternative to God? You know, just in case, in case God doesn't show up, I'll just do this one. Imagine someone praying for money right, or asking God for, for provision, and God tells the person, I'll provide for you. And the person has given God a, a deadline of one week. And the person saying, Oh my, if God doesn't provide in one week, I'll just go and I'll just go and meet that my uncle, that my uncle that is in Abuja, I'll just go and meet him and ask him for money straight up. And what are those alternatives in your hearts and in your life that you have created and erected as a replacement to God? And as we walk with God. If you yourself, you might not know. If most times you wouldn't know. But as we walk with God, what happens is that God begins to reveal those things to us. So for some of us, you have relied on your parents or your family. Maybe you come from a strong family or an influential family or a rich family, all right? Uh, for some of you, you have relied on that family connection for so long. What God will do to you, like He did to Abraham, will, will tell you to leave your father's house and go to a land that will show you. It might not be literal. It might be literal, or in some cases, it might not be literal, but he might just be telling you to detach yourself emotionally and in terms of security, while detach yourself from your family to a greater place, I will show you. All right, for some of you, it might be the fact that you are very intelligent. So whenever any matter is presented before you, you've already added one and two together and brought a solution. And then God will now say, see, when a matter comes, wait until I speak to you. But you are telling God, God, based on my study in in... Lagos School of Business, this is the best strategic um, position to take for the business, all right? And God is telling you, don't do it, wait on me. Or he tells you to do something that doesn't even make physical sense, all right? And for some of you, it could be that you're relying on your beauty. You know, honestly, you are you're probably yourself in the mirror. Or you're like, oh, more, boy, your hands go, uh-uh. oh, more, I find daisha. Don't worry, don't worry, don't worry, I'll find why, quick, 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 quick. And I'm telling you that it is not by your physical beauty or your physical... Um, handsomeness, all right, that you still have to rely on God, okay? So that's pretty much what all this, uh, what our Bible study is going to be about, how we can grow from a place of of independence to dependence on God. And the more dependent you are, you are on God, it will amaze you the things that God will do in your life, all right? Praise God. Okay, so that was introduction, and we are already running out of time. So what we're just going to do today is we're going to look at one case study Right, um, I, I I trust this series might continue all through this week. But I'm just going to look at one um, one case study, and that case study is Abraham. But first of all, why are we looking at Abraham? I'm to Isaiah chapter um, this chapter fifty one. Just a minute. Yes, Isaiah chapter fifty one, verse two. All right, Isaiah fifty one, verse i so just read it quickly for us. It says. Look unto Abraham, your father, and Sarah that bear you. For so I called him alone and blessed him and increased him. All right. So God was speaking and says that if you want to look at a role model, I mean, look at Abraham, your father, look at um, Sarah, your mother. Okay. Meaning that when in our Christian work of faith, Abraham is the ideal pattern, right? That God has set for us. And because of Abraham's work with God, Everyone that is called a child of faith is an offspring of Abraham, okay? And then he goes on to say that when I called Abraham, I called him alone. What that means was that I singled Abraham, right? And the implication of that is that I took him out of all all the support structures he had created around himself. And that's why the first thing God did to Abraham was was to say to him, Abraham, get thee out of your father's house to a land I will show you, all right? Um, so the first thing he did was to take Abraham out of that support structure. Okay. And that is how God operates with us. Every time God wants to, I, I look at the pattern, right? He says, when I called him, I called him a loan. Notice that then he blessed him and then he increased him. That means if we don't learn to be, to be independent of our support structures and dependent on God, it would not learn that strategy. We will never actually enter into the blessing that God has for us. So someone might be, might be saying, oh, my parents are very wealthy and very rich. So, I mean, anytime I call my dad, he's going to give to me and he's going to provide and all of that. But then God, will, if God wants to really give you a blessing, what he does is that he asks you to um, come out of any defense mechanism, any defense structure rather that you've had before, and so that he can bless you, he can give you a blessing that is independent of any human support. Um, and, and so we're gonna look at Abraham's story to begin with. All right, so let's turn to Genesis chapter. Let us start from Genesis chapter 12, okay? Genesis chapter 12. Um, don't worry, you find this very, quite an interesting series and, and quite a revealing one. All right, so Genesis chapter 12. Um, I'm going to have to read a couple of verses and skip some just because of time but I encourage us to read to understand the full story right read chapter 12 chapter 13 and chapter 14. you get a full picture um, you, get, you get a full picture of that all right so Genesis chapter Genesis chapter um, 12. Now, let me give you a background story first before we continue. So in, in chapter 12, verse 1, right? God had spoken to Abraham and says, Um, leave your father's house, go to a land, I will show you, and all of that. So God spoke to him. Now, when you come to when you come to verse 8, verse 8, verse from verse 6 to verse 8, God appeared to, to Abraham again. And then the Bible says that God, sorry, that Abraham pitched, he built an altar right, in at Bethel, where God appeared to him, okay? Now, go to verse, all right, go to verse 10. Let's start from verse 10. So just follow me as I read. Verse 10, Abraham, Genesis chapter 12, verse 10. And there was a famine in the land, and Abraham went down into Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was grievous in the land. Now, when you read the whole of the chapter, you find out that, this Abraham's trip to Egypt, God did not send him. It was Abraham's me- um, 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 mechanism of sustenance. Abraham must have done permutation and combination and says, out of all the lands here, the land of Egypt will be fertile for us to go and stay because there's famine. which if you speak to any human person, any normal person rather, is a very logical thing to do. It's like saying, ah, this. let's say someone is coming from, from Sokoto, I mean, for those of you that know in Nigeria, Sokoto is a state in Nigeria, okay? It's a state in northern Nigeria. Someone coming from Sokoto and says, ah, that Sokoto is dry, yo. let's go to Lagos, that's where money is. Ah, my friend just called me that, ah, he just made 500,000 in one day, Oh, oh, let's go, let's go to Lagos. And then without inquiring of the Lord, without um, finding out God's will, Abraham embarked on that journey, okay? Now, verse 10, Abraham went to Egypt because the famine was grievous. Verse eleven, and it came to pass when he was come near to Ed to enter into Egypt, and he said unto Sarah his wife, Behold, now I know that thou art a fair woman. A fair woman means beautiful woman. There's thou art a fair woman to look upon. Therefore it shall come to pass when the Egyptians shall see thee, and they shall say, This is his wife, and they will kill me, but they will save thee. All right, they will save their life. So I pray thee. so Sorry, sorry. let us take that verse 13 again. Say, I pray thee, thou art my sister, that it may be well with me for thy sake, and my soul shall live because of thee. Now, Abraham was going to Egypt, that God didn't send him. He was going there by himself. And he now realized that there was a problem, there was a challenge, a very critical challenge. And the challenge was that his wife was just too beautiful. And he said, this land of Egypt we are going to, if we go there and I tell them you are my wife, these people will kill me just because they want to have you. And then they will take you and marry you and me, I'll be dead. So Abraham now came up with a strategic plan. And this is the first lesson I want you to take note of. Every time we venture in a direction that God doesn't send us, we will now have to be responsible for sustaining ourselves. And let me tell you, there is no plan you will have that will be as effective and as wise as God's own plan. So if you go in a direction that God doesn't send you, you don't have God's backing, so you have to now sustain yourself, all right. So, if you, are, if you are the one leading yourself, then you have to sustain yourself. But if it is God that is leading you, God will put in all the factors together and sustain you by Himself, all right. And so, verse um, 14, and it came to pass that when Abraham was coming to Egypt, they, that the Egyptians beheld the woman and she was very beautiful. Verse 15, the, um, the princes, you know, recommended the woman to Pharaoh. Verse 16. And he treated Abraham well for her sake. This is, I mean, this is just greediness. Abraham allowed them to take his own wife, right? I was enjoying the privilege of being well taken care of because he had liked that she's my sister, okay? So um, the king was treating Abraham well because, I mean, in the king's mind, he's like, ah, this is my brother-in-law. Let me treat him well. Let me, you know, take care of him. Let's not be that the king's brother-in-law is not well taken care of. And also as a way to, you know, you know if you are, okay, so let me, let me give you a, yes, side, side side just follow me. When I was going to marry my wife, part of the things I saw ahead of time, even when we were dating, I said, if this woman is going to be my wife, let me just get close to her sisters, right? Her siblings, her sisters and her brother, so that at least they'll be my friends, they'll be on my side. When, when the time for action comes, they'll all be supporting me. So that was the strategy. I mean, that was the reason from God. Anyway, so it was the same thing that King um, sorry, that Pharaoh also did. He was treating Abraham because Abraham said he was Sarah's brother. Okay. And Abraham was enjoying that treaty, that treatment. Sorry. Now, verse, verse look look at look at this. Please again look at verse 16. Carefully it says, and he treated Abraham well for her sake. Okay. And he had sheep and oxen and asses. And men servants and maid servants and she asses and camels. So the king gave Abraham all these things because of Abraham's scheme, because Abraham had devised a plan and that plan seemed to be working well. And the second thing I want to say is that if you go on a plan that God didn't send you, it is possible for the plan to to be going on well at the initial stage. All right. So somebody has planned that you know what, I'm going to go out work in this company. I'm going to do this and do that so that I can rise in the ranks and without inquiring of the Lord. And the truth is, the person's plans can start working fine for, for the time being, all right? And that's what happened to Abraham, that his plans was moving on fine in the meantime. Now, verse, um verse 17. And then the Lord plagued Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. So trouble came to Pharaoh's house. And Pharaoh, being, I guess, being a man of insight, now understood that all this trouble that is coming is not natural. And I don't know how he traced it, but he eventually found out in verse 18. Um, he said to him and said, what is this that thou has done unto me? Why did you lie? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? And then Abraham went on to confess and said, all that happened. Okay. And then verse, eight, verse 19 and 20, Abraham sent, sorry, Pharaoh sent Abraham and Sarah out of the land of Egypt. Now, Abraham devised a plan that God didn't send him. He had to lie to sustain that plan. So he devised a, a plan to go to Egypt. He had to tell a lie to sustain himself in that land. And with all of that, he got some amount of riches, right? Because verse 16 tells us that he got cattle, he got sheep, got, he got, got all of that because of his lie, all right? So have that in mind because we're going to see how that comes in in the next chapter. But eventually... By the time we got to the next chapter, Abraham, so so go to chapter 13 verse, go to chapter 13 verse 2. The Bible says, and Abraham was very rich in cattle, in silver and in gold. Abraham was rich in cattle, in silver and in gold. But part of these riches came from his life with, um, uh, with Pharaoh. Because in verse 16 of chapter 12, let us know that, Pharaoh gave Abraham cattle, gave Abraham sheep, gave Abraham servants, gave Abraham a lot of things. Now, this verse 2 of chapter 13 now tells us that Abraham was rich in cattle. Obviously, part of his wealth came from that his own scheming, came from his own adventure, came from his own strategy and his own planning that he had in Egypt. Okay? So let's have that in mind again because we're going to look at what happens in the next chapter. So in chapter 13, Abraham now had to journey back. If you read chapter twelve, Abraham left um, left a land in between Bethel and Ai. In chapter thirteen, Abraham now had to go back to that place where he left. Okay, and when he got back to that place, he now again inquired of the Lord. So he now built an altar, you know, unto God and inquired of the Lord. So what this shows is that it is possible for a believer at a point in time to have sought the face of God. But then in the face of danger or in the face of urgency, the believer now comes up with his own plan and says, I mean, I, I, I need to do something. I can't be waiting. I'm sitting and I'm, I'm waiting for God. And then the believer now takes an action that God doesn't lead him on. What will happen is that no matter how far the believer travels on that plan that he created, the moment he's ready to go, and um, to, to the, moment the moment he's ready to take on God's plan, he'll have to go back to where he stopped with God and continue from there. And that's exactly what happened with Abraham. Abraham w- erected an altar at Bethel. And you see that in um, chapter Genesis chapter 12 verse, from read verse six to verse eight. That's the last time that Abraham erected an altar. After that last time that he re- erected an altar, he didn't bother inquiring of the Lord all through the experience. We didn't see Abraham praying to God or erecting an altar or inquiring of the Lord. The next time he did that was after they had chased him from Egypt and he came back to Bethel and he went back to that altar and erected it again to God and prayed. And then God um, met him there. So, go to, so I mean, after that, Abraham and Lot separated and all of that happened. Now, go to chapter, still in chapter 13, go to verse 14. Please just follow me with the whole gist. You'll get the point as we, as we climb up. So chapter 13 verse 14. All right, <clears throat> the Bible says, and the Lord said unto Abraham, after that Lot was separated from him. So after Lot, Lot left Abraham, God now began to speak Abraham, speak to Abraham and said, Lift, lift up your eyes and look to look from where you are, um, northward, southward, eastward, and westward. So pretty much look three six. Um, 360 degrees, he says, for all the land which thou seest, to thee will I give it and to thy seed forever. So God began to cut a covenant and make a promise to Abraham and says, look all around you, I will give you this land and I will make thy seed, verse 16, I will make thy seed as the dust of the earth so that if a man can number the dust of the earth, then shall thy seed also be numbered. Verse 17 says, arise, walk through the length and bread I will give you and all of that. So God made a promise to Abraham, right? And says, look at all this land I will give to you. But this promise, remember, this promise came after Abraham retraced himself, he stepped back to the altar of God and began to depend on God. And then God made this promise to him. Okay. Now, look, I want you to see the mindset that Abraham had after this promise had been made to him. So go to chapter 14. Um, we'll start reading verse chapter fourteen, verse um, verse twenty one. before we read verse twenty one, let's just give you a background story. So um, Lot was captured alongside the people of Sodom and Gomorrah. Abraham mobilized his own men to go and fight uh, and rescue his um, his nephew Lot. Lot, and when Lot, I mean, after the battle, they won all the kings. They're successful, and then they were coming back. All right. Now look at verse 21. So the king of Sodom began to make make Abraham an offer. And verse 21 says, And the king of Sodom said unto Abraham, Give me the persons and take the goods to thyself. Meaning, after Abraham had rescued them, remember the king of Sodom was also captured. So Abraham and his men came and rescued everybody. Abraham was the hero. I mean, by every standard, he deserved a reward. The king, out of the generosity of his heart and gratitude, said to Abraham, the only thing I'm asking for is just give me back my people. You can take all the possessions, all the wealth, all the money. You can take it for yourself. I don't care. Just give me back the people and we'll go back to our land. But look at what Abraham said. Verse 22. And Abraham said to the king of Sodom, I have lifted up my hand unto the Lord, the most high God, the possessor of heaven and earth, that I will not take from, I will not take from a thread even to a shoe latchet, and that I will not take anything that is thine, lest thou should say, I have made Abraham rich. Verse twenty-four. Save only that which the young men have eaten and the portion of the men which went with me, Anna, Eshcol, and Mamre. Let them take their portion. Let me let me explain what's going on here. Abraham went to battle with um, with um, three other people, okay. And what Abraham was saying to the king of Sodom was that these three people, they can take their own portion, whatever they want to take, let them take. But as for me, I will not take a single thing, even if it's a thread. I will not take it. Why did Abraham said that? Say that he said that because, as he explained to the king of Sodom, least tomorrow you will say you are the one that made Abraham rich meaning that Abraham had come to a point of total dependence on God that even what he could have legally collected from the king. He said, I'm not even going to collect it just to show you how much I am dependent on God so that tomorrow when you see Abraham rich, you will not say that, eh, it's because I gave Abraham cattle and sheep now and eh, because I gave Abraham money, that's why he's rich. No, Abraham knew that in, verse, in chapter 13, God had promised him that he was going to give him all the land. God had promised him riches. Because of that promise, Abraham came to a point of dependence on God. And he said to the king of Sodom, I will not collect anything from you. So that when, by the time God makes me rich, you will know that it is not your contribution to my life that made me rich, but it was God that made me rich. This is a sharp contrast to what we see happen in chapter 12, okay? Because in chapter 12, the king of um, Pharaoh, right, king of Egypt, Gave Abraham cattle, gave Abraham sheep, gave Abraham men servants, gave Abraham possessions, money, for it's converted in our, own, in our own context. Gave Abraham money. And Abraham gladly collected everything. In fact, the next chapter told us that Abraham was rich. How was he rich? Because he had collected things from the king. But after Abraham learned to be dependent on God, he told, he told the king and said, and the king of Sodom now, he said, I will not collect anything from you so that you, tomorrow you not say it's Abraham that made you rich. That shows the, a, the mindset of a person that is working with God and is depending on God. Praise Jesus. And that is what happens to us as believers, all right? That we might start off depending on our skill, depending on our strength, depending on our connection, but when we come into a place of dependence on God, we'll never flaunt any of those things. In fact, when someone comes and says, ah, but is not is your is your father not a senator? Just call him now, call him one phone call, this will be sorted out. You tell the person and says, No, my God is able to do this for me. It is that point of dependence in God that is called the circumcision of the heart. Meaning the part of you that is of the flesh, it has been it has been taken away. I mean, just like physical circumcision, the foreskin is peeled off and, and thrown away. That is what circumcision of the heart does. That is the part of your heart that is reliant, reliant on flesh, reliant on um, connection, reliant on anything that could be an advantage in your life. That part is now stripped away. Now I need to be clear what I'm saying so that I, I can balance this. I am not saying that you don't use your skills. I'm not saying that you don't even use your connections. I'm not saying that you don't um, um, use the things that God has given you. What I am saying instead is that you are not dependent on them. Rather, you are dependent on God. What that means is that everything that could be an advantage to your life, you submit it to God and allow God use it the way he wants to. And if so be that God decides not to use it at all, then let it be so, all right? So take for instance, let's say somebody was in a world, let's say a person was a worldly musician, was a very prominent person, you know, singing, and it was popular. The whole world knew the person as a as a secular musician singing all kind of, you know, rubbish songs. And then the person now encounters God and gives his life to Christ. There is a possibility, I'm not saying this is always the case, but there is a possibility that the way God would decide to use him may not even involve his singing gifts at all. God may decide to use him in a totally different way without using him in music, you know, the typical um, um, typical logical thinking would be that, well, if this person was in the world singing. Then, when the person becomes a Christian, he just joined choir or join a music group. But you would take that. The person would take that his skill to God and submit it to God. And God will now tell you, okay, I want you to join a music group. Or say, in fact, you know what? You are never going to join a choir. You are never going to join any music group. I'm going to use it for something totally different. All right. And, you know, I was listening to a man of God one time and he said shared something that he always wanted to be a musician, right? He never wanted to do preaching and anything. But when God called him, God had called him into ministry and that music that he so loved, he couldn't do it again. That is the way God works. I mean, God could, could decide to use your, your skill in any way he wants to. The most important thing is that you submit that skill to God, all right? So I'm not saying that um, if you have, I mean, if your family is wealthy, then you never accept any um, support or any help from them. No. I'm saying that you allow God to decide how he will bless you, whether through your family or not. Praise Jesus. All right? So we see the sharp contrast. In, in chapter 12, Abraham was receiving gifts from Pharaoh. In chapter 14, Abraham, at that point, got had had gotten to a place of dependence. And he said, you know what? I'm not going to collect anything so that you will not say you made Abraham rich. And you will see that at the end of Abraham's life, the Bible lets us know that Abraham was blessed. He was blessed in every, in all ways, the Bible lets us know that. Praise Jesus. All right, so um, we're going to stop here with just this one example, the example of Abraham. So what I want you to do now is to think about yourself and ask ask yourself, is there anything right now that you are actually depending on more than God? It could be different things, and and the, the tricky part is that it could actually be something that is legitimate. It could even be something that came from God, all right? It could even be your job. Let's say you didn't have a job before. God now gave you a job, and you know this job is from God, but subconsciously, you have shifted your dependence from God to your job, so your source of, of living now, you've made your job your source of living, rather than God your source of living. So if any financial need arises, the first thing you go to do is to do calculation um, with your salary and say, based on my salary, can I afford this? Can I do this? Ah, you say no. So that even when God is asking you to do something, you now see, refer back to your salary and say, ah, my salary cannot afford it, so I just, I just will not do it. Meanwhile, God wants you to actually trust in him beyond your salary. Yes, he gave you that job, but he wants you to trust him for provision, not the job for provision. The job is just a medium and a channel that he provides through. It is not your source. It is just a channel, okay? So I want you to think in your life and ask yourself, well, are there things that you are relying on more than God, you know, and and um, what are there and how can you deal with that, okay? So this is a conversation that you will have in your hearts. Praise Jesus. All right, so I'm going to stop here, but I just want to read the scripture one more time where we started from. Um, Philippians chapter 3, verse... Philippians chapter 3, verse um, 5. No, sorry, for, verse, verse 3, I beg your pardon. Philippians chapter 3, verse 3 says, For we are the circumcision. It says, which worship God in the Spirit, number one, rejoice in Christ Jesus and then have no confidence in the flesh. So let this be your method of living. One, I I, I I worship God in the spirit. And you know, worshiping God in the spirit means when you look at circumstances and they are, they are staring you in the face and they are difficult circumstances, you go back to God and worship God in the spirit, okay? And then number two, you rejoice in Christ Jesus, meaning your confidence and your boasting is in Christ Jesus. And lastly, you don't have any confidence in flesh. You don't have any dependence or any reliance in uh, on the flesh or, or on any um, thing that could have been an, an advantage to you. Okay? So let that be your method of living. Praise the Lord. All right. So at this point, I um, will take questions. Are there a, um, any questions you want to ask? Maybe something that wasn't clear while I was explaining or... Um, just something that you might want to ask or find out. All right, Ida, please go ahead.
3: Good evening, everyone. Good evening. Um, Thank you, Victor. You're really checking my table.
1: <laughs> but
3: I didn't get up. Something. <laughs> so I know you said the main thing, Well, maybe, like you said in this series, maybe we'll deal with it along the lines. So it almost seems like there's a thin line between so, Ida, can
0: can you be can you be more audible, please? I find it difficult to hear you.
3: Hey, I'm using. Is it clearer?
0: Um. Okay. Just go ahead. Yeah. Go ahead.
3: Okay. So it seems like there's a thin line between like planning and trusting in this Cause I mean, the illustrations that you gave. Um. I'm just hearing myself in so many things. So you have something you have to do, and then you're asking God, okay, help me, and then. You also you also have like plan Maybe mm-hmm. you understand so I just want to be very sure mm-hmm. and especially for those that are just speculative in nature like you you yeah. kind of just plan everything and then you mentioned something that really struck me so when you're talking about things about maybe in the place of urgency you know you can't wait so I'm I'm kind of in a situation like that <laughs> what do you really do because you're praying and it almost seems like over a deadline, but then you're, you're trying to be still, but it's not easy to be still because you're thinking of like, okay, this, this, that's what you really do because, <laughs> okay, that's all.
0: Okay, all right. Thanks so much for that, Ida. So first thing here is this, and let's let's read that scripture, Proverbs chapter three. Um, We're going to read two scriptures um, to address this. Proverbs chapter three, verse five and six. The scripture that most of us already know it says follow this carefully it says trust in the lord with all thine hearts right secondly it says do not lean on thy own understanding meaning that when you are trusting in god you also need to be conscious that you don't lean on your own understanding leaning on your understanding here also means leaning on your plans or leaning on your ability to even plan okay Verse 6 says, in all thy ways, acknowledge him. That means in everything, you, in your planning, in your strategizing, acknowledge God. That means involve God in that planning process. And then he will direct thy paths. So my emphasis is that verse 6. He says, in all thy ways, acknowledge him. So clearly, God is not against planning at all. In fact, God encourages us to plan. Have your one-year plan, five-year plan, ten-year plan, one-week plan. Have your plan. But in that process of planning, don't plan independent of God. As you are planning, involve God in the planning. That's why it says in all thy ways, acknowledge him. Then what will happen is that he will direct your steps. So yes, you, it is super, super important to plan. Don't be lazy and and, and, and claim you are working in faith. Plan, but involve God in your planning. What will happen is that when you involve God in your planning, God will be directing your steps on how to plan it, on what to do, Okay. Because the Bible says there is a way that seems right unto man, but in the end it leads to destruction. So if you exclude God from your planning process, you may end up planning a way that looks right. If you, if you pass it through any human lens, they'll say this is correct, this is accurate. But in the eyes of God, God will, say, God will say no. In fact, one of the examples we'll look at probably next, which is the story of Gideon. Gideon was sent on a mission to, to um, rescue Israel. Like every normal um, warrior, he carried a lot of people, carried thousands of people. God told Gideon, oh says, these people, there. they are too much. I don't need this much. I only need 300 people. And God brought victory with 300 people. However, if you read another instance in the book of Kings, when they're going to fight the enemies, God said, pack every, everybody that is young and can take a weapon. Carry all of them like that. So how will you know when to go with, with 300? How will you know when to go with everybody? That is why you must involve God in your planning, all right? So um, involving God in your planning is super, super important. I hope that explains. Oh, there's one more to to read. I want us to read. Psalm, no, Proverbs chapter 16, verse 3. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 3. I want to read this verse from the Amplified Bible. Um, please, if you are there, you can read for us. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 3, Amplified Version. Okay, let me read. Oh, sorry. Um, if you are there, go ahead. I think I have missed it. Okay, I'm there. I'm there. Let me read for us. Proverbs chapter sixteen, verse three. Robert. Okay, go ahead, Faith. Yes, go ahead.
1: Proverbs three, commit your works to the Lord, submit and trust them to Him, and your plans will succeed if you respond to His will and guidance.
0: Okay, that, so that is Amplified. Let me read from Amplified Classic. Okay, so for those of you that don't know, there are two types of amp- amp- two versions of Amplified, Amplified Classic, and then Amplified. So I want to read from Amplified Classic. He says, Roll your works upon the Lord, commit and trust them wholly to Him. What will not happen is that He will cause your thoughts to become agreeable to His will, and so shall your plans be established and succeed. So what this is saying is that when you have a project or you want to plan stuff, he says, roll it over to God. What will now happen is God will thought God will cause your thoughts and your plans to begin to, to become agreeable to his will. And then your ways will be established and you prosper. So still, but just what I said earlier, involve God in the planning stage. You know, I think subconsciously we think that we, we don't need to involve God when we're planning. No, involve God in that planning stage and then he will guide you. All right? Does that help, either?
3: Yes, it does.
0: Thank you. All right, you're welcome. Any other question before we go? I'll uh, we'll take one more question tonight. Any other question before we go? You might have a particular scenario you want to paint. I want to ask about it. Um, please feel free. <clears throat> Any question before we go? Okay, no question. OK, so if you have a question, I think it's private. You can just send me a private message. And um, um, I could address this, or we could, you can send me a message on, on WhatsApp. I could talk about it. All right? So since there's no question, I just want to ask us again, like I always do, what is one thing you've learned today that you're going back with? Um, anyone wants to share with us quickly? One thing you have learned today, and um, you are going back with it? Anyone, anyone volunteering? One thing you learned? Anybody? Um, okay. So Esther, if you're speaking, I cannot, we can't hear you. Kind be a bit louder. Um, we still can't hear you. Oh, uh, we still can't hear you. Okay, if, if network is not strong, you know, if you can just drop a message in the chat and we'll read it out loud. All right, Faith, please go ahead. While Esther okay. works. Everyone.
2: So, mm-hmm.
1: um, so one thing I've learned
2: and
1: I'm going to that Basically, Proverbs three, verse five: Trusting in the Lord with all your hearts. and it means all your hearts, all of your hearts, your whole entirety, because it's it's very easy, no subconsciously so as humans, we have friends, we have people that are in high places, and people that we feel that are able to connect us and help us, and it's just like having different options. I say, if hey, this one doesn't work, this one has to work. But knowing that God is the option, the only option, and not just a option that okay, in case it's too slow, maybe I should try something else and try something. But it's just ah, it is well. Thank you.
0: Praise God. <laughs> God. Thanks for that, Faith. Um, anyone else wants to share something you learned today? Before we go,
2: okay, praise God.
0: Um, hallelujah, bullet stone.
2: Hi, okay. so basically, um, I what I really um picked was when we are as Christians is the other way around, like because we are normally when you grow up, you are independent of your parents, but in, when it comes to spirituality, you're supposed to actually be fully reliant and dependent on God. And I think um, for some years, I've actually really practiced this and I've realized that it's, uh, it's, in circumstances that I actually say to God, it's you and nothing else. That's when I actually really see um, him come through for me, actually with getting jobs. I know the two jobs I've had, it's did At that point, where I said, "God, okay, just do whatever you want to do. I'm not, I'm not using my power. I'm not doing it. I'm just following your direction." And somehow, somehow, before I know it, or within a shortest period of time, will come through. So it is when you actually really surrender to him that's when you see him come through, 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 basically.
0: Yeah, very, very quick Thank you so much, Bolatito. Um, one last person before we close. One thing you learned today um, that I want to share with us. One more person before we go. Hallelujah.
4: So, um, <laughs> I was really one that wanted to talk. Was another senior person in the house. Oh, All right. Oh. Um, thank you for me and um, Bible study. It's very important especially in this time um, and season that we are in. One thing I've learned is that if you have it all calculated in your mind or in your head without God, um let me put it the evil risky because you have to maintain the process by yourself and see with. And surely let me tell you something the way that seems right unto your man but the end thereof is destruction. That thing will mess up one one point in time you'll be disappointed. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the good thing also again is that God is a loving father. And when, uh, when, we, when we realize that, okay, see this thing, you know, the way I calculated it, I'm, I'm tired of trying to beat my way. God is so, 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 so willing to step in and take charge. And he gives exceedingly abundantly in the case of Abraham. Using him as a case sample. So that's
0: what I learned today. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you so much, everyone, for sharing. Um, God bless you. So, we'll continue this next week by the grace of God. Um, and we'll go deeper into it. And we'll see, we'll still look at several examples and the things we can learn from each of these experiences and examples in Scripture. Amen. All right. Lastly, before we pray and before we go, is anyone um, joining us for the first time? This is your first time um, at in our Bible study. Can you just say hi, tell us who invited you and where you're joining us from? Or tell us how you found about us, you know, and where you're joining us from. Anyone, first time anyone?
2: Hi everyone.
0: Hi, good evening.
1: My name is Yomi, um, this is my first time. Hi Yomi,
0: good evening.
1: Um, I was invited by Bola Tuto Urujobi.
0: Oh, nice. Where are you joining us from?
1: From Lagos.
0: From Lagos. Awesome. Please let's welcome um Oguyemi. What's the second name again, please?
1: Ulua Yomi. Yomi. Just call me Yomi.
0: Okay, Yomi. Okay, good. Please let's let's welcome Yomi to Bible study. Is there anyone else joining us for the first time? First time at Bible study today. Anyone else? OK, no one else. Uh, pardon me if I'm wrong, but Ibukun um, Oshilagun, is this your first time?
2: Yeah, so, yeah, so, yeah, this is my first time. Ah, you
0: see? Ah, you, see? Yeah. You, didn't
2: you didn't mention. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of lucky. But yeah, good evening. Uh, my name is Ibukun. Uh,
0: your voice is, is faint, please.
2: My, my voice is faint. Yeah. How about well now? Is it better now?
0: Yes, much better.
2: Okay, yeah, good evening, everyone. <laughs> yeah, my name is Ibukun. Um, I was invited by Fit. Yeah. Where are you from? I'm joining from um, the UK.
0: From the UK. All right. Yeah. Please, let's welcome Ibukun to online Bible community. Hope you are blessed, Ibukun, and um, Yomi. Hope you guys were blessed.
2: Yeah, I was. I was, actually.
0: Oh, okay. good. Thank God. Yeah. All right, so thank you so much, everyone. Um, one last thing before we leave, uh, before we pray. Please, if you have, I just, you know, over the weekend we talked about this. If you have any testimonies that you want to share, um, please feel free to drop it in a WhatsApp group um, for those of us in the group, or you can message me directly on WhatsApp and just share a testimony if it's if it's confidential, just share a testimony with me um, personally, or you can drop it in the group if you, if you want to share with all of us at once. All right, so let us pray. Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, we thank you for tonight's Bible study. Thank you for teaching us. Thank you for inspiring your word upon our hearts. Thank you because by the power of your spirit from today henceforth, we learn to depend on you more and more. That as we grow in maturity, so also will we grow in dependence on you. That we'll never operate independent of you, but rather we'll put our trust and our confidence in you and not in anything um, in our flesh, in the name of Jesus. Father, we thank you. Um, we declare that this week is blessed. And as we meet next week, we'll have more testimonies of your victories in our lives. In Jesus' mighty name, we have prayed. Amen. All right. Thank you, everyone, for joining me. Have a good um, night. See you next week. Same time, same venue, same link. All right. See you. Bye.
1: Bye-bye.